Hello and welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm the co-founder at web for realty a SaaS company that bootstrapped our business out of my parents' basement with no money and no experience into a fully remote company that has generated millions in revenue. In this podcast, I'll take you through my journey talking about business situations I'm currently going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My hope is to share my experiences and help other entrepreneurs and business owners along the way. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Laura Roeder. She's the founder and CEO of Meet Edgar. Meet Edgar helps professionals and small businesses manage their content and promote it on social media. Laura founded Meet Edgar back in 2014. In less than four years, they've grown to over 4 million in annual recurring revenue, all while being fully remote, fully bootstrapped, no outside funding, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, We're diving into a lot of different topics in this episode, including how she grew to 100K MRR in less than 12 months, her bootstrapping story, marketing tips, challenges of managing a remote team, uh, even tips on churn, and much, much more. I had a great time chatting with Laura. I think you'll get a ton of value from this episode, so I hope you enjoy. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the Founder Views podcast. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So you're the CEO and founder of Meet Edgar, a SaaS yep. that helps professionals manage their social media. You launched the company in 2014 and have since bootstrapped it up to, I guess, over $4 million in annual recurring revenue at this point. Yeah, um, that's correct. Which is absolutely incredible, by the way. So huge congratulations on your achievements thus far. Thank you. Uh, so there's a lot to dive into there, but if you want to kick things off, uh, why don't you tell our audience a bit about yourself, your background, and how you got started with Meet Edgar? Yeah, so Meet Edgar isn't my first business. I've been working for myself for about 11 years now. Uh, I first started off just freelancing as a web designer, and in about 2008, as social media started to become a thing, I, I found myself advising my clients who I was building websites for on how to use these new tools like Twitter and Facebook for their business. And that turned into a social media marketing business, advising and teaching courses on social media. And then in 2014, I built the social media automation tool that that wasn't out there. You know, I built the tool that I wanted to see, and that's how Edgar was created. And that's that's what I've been focused on ever since. Amazing. Um, so there's a few other popular social media management apps, as you know. Uh, how is Meet Edgar different, and, and what's your pitch for why someone like myself, who who also uh, co-found or founded a, a SaaS company? And also does this on the side, like the podcasting and and, uh, creates content and things like that. So, you know, what's what's the differentiator and what's the pitch for someone like me? Yeah. So, um, well, for someone like you in particular, we're actually a really good match because we're really focused on content creators and businesses that are really promoting themselves uh, via creating content and are really using social media as a channel to spread that content. Um, we also focus on very small, often one person businesses. So a lot of other tools out there, um, might have a smaller plan, but they're really focused on agencies and that's really who they're built for. Uh, we're really not built for agencies. So the content focus, a few ways that plays out, uh, one really cool feature that's unique to us is you can put in a URL 
and we automatically pull relevant pull quotes that you can use as your social media status updates. Uh, and it's not just like we pulled the first sentence of the of the blog post. We actually use some intelligence to look at what would make a good status update. So you can put in a URL and in one click, um, we auto-generate five for you. You have five different status updates that you can just go ahead and send to social media. And another thing that's really different about Edgar is we store a categorized library of all of your social media updates. So so some other tools kind of treat every update as one off. You write the update, you copy and paste it into the tool. It sends it to your social networks, but it doesn't really do much else for you. Edgar stores everything in categories so that you can modify the updates. You can send them again. Um, if that makes sense, you can see what types of content you want more and less of. So we're really a library for managing uh, your content and promoting it on social. That's really cool. I like that. I like that feature. So for example, if I you know, created this blog post uh, several months ago, you'll automatically pull five quotes, I mm -hmm. guess, and, and, and automatically distribute that to my social channels. Does it does it stop at five or can you go beyond that? That's just how many we can um, automatically generate for you. But then you could also go in and put more if you wanted to, what's called variations, you know, variations for promoting the same post. So uh, you could use the five over and over again, unless you're on Twitter, because they don't allow that anymore. So if you're on Facebook or LinkedIn, you can just cycle through the five. We also have some smart tech to make sure that you're not just repeating the same thing over and over again. So this was another one of my frustrations when I launched Edgar that still exists with other tools, a lot of other tools, it's really hard to do batching work for inputting because you're like, okay, I have this post I want to promote, so I'm going to write 10 updates. But of course, you don't want all 10 updates to go one after the other. So that's something that Edgar does automatically cycles through the different types of content for you. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense because a lot of, uh, for example, the posts I put out and I'm sure a lot of other people, it's not really... Um, I mean, it's it's relevant. It could be relevant like a year, two years, three years mm -hmm. down the road. So being able to repurpose the same content, I think it is really important. Exactly. You know, that's a big part of our philosophy of how small businesses can most effectively be using social because so many people still spend hours and hours writing a blog post Sometimes they send it out once, which just kills me <laughs> after all that time you spent writing it. You know, you're sending out one Facebook update, one tweet, uh, or maybe they're promoting it a few times, you know, that first week that it's live. But yeah, exactly like you're saying, most small businesses are not doing investigative journalism that's only relevant this week, right? We're mostly writing kind of how-to or thought leader types of articles, and that stuff is good for years and years. And so people cr create way too much work for themselves, feeling like they have to constantly be writing new articles when you really could be leveraging this huge library that you've already created. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that, 100%, mm. <laughs> which is not good. Um, so I want to scale back a bit. Uh, I want to talk about bootstrapping. So meet Edgar, you guys are bootstrapped. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing I love more than a, a good bootstrapping s story. So shout out to all the bootstrappers out there. Um, bootstrapping, I think though, is a term that gets thrown around pretty loosely nowadays. Like mm -hmm. I find there's two sets of bootstrappers. There's what I think are like the true bootstrappers, those who use their own savings to start up, like no outside funding at all, and just use revenue from customers and sales to reinvest and grow the company. And then there's the second set, which are companies who got some small seed or angel money and still consider, consider mm. themselves bootstrappers for some reason, which you see quite a bit as well. That's probably a debate for another podcast. But what's your bootstrapping story? 
Yeah. You know, I agree there is nuance to it. And sometimes I'll call us uh, self-funded because uh, we were launched out of revenues from my previous business. So as I mentioned in the beginning, I ran a social media training business before because to me, there's something even more hardcore, which is people who just spend every customer dollar as it comes in, you know, are just spending their own time. And when a customer gives them $5 and they spend that $5. So we did have some uh, capital in the beginning, but it was all, you know, it was zero outside funding. It was all just profits from the previous business that I rolled into this business. Okay. Got it. Perfect. Uh, it's funny when, when you started uh, working on web for realty around like 2009 ish, it was started this like whole tech craze and like a lot of big companies and apps were popping up back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember seeing a lot of startups and founders focusing so much of their attention on securing funds and just meeting investors and all that. It, it it was as if the only way to validate your company was secure mm. funding and mm. there was like this culture of burning cash being like the cool thing to do almost um, and that was considered a huge win for these companies they're getting all the press and fame on like TechCrunch and Mashable and all that um, so I think we're, we're very similar in that sense where both of us were focused on building a sustainable and profitable company from the get-go um, mm-hmm. And it's good. I really think we're starting to see a shift in that mindset and that culture. You see a lot of companies uh, who are very openly talking about their journeys and their numbers. Companies such as yours, uh, which is amazing, like, you know, ConvertKit, Barometric Buffer, all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are all bootstrapped companies for the most part who are showing that it's 100% possible uh, to build and grow a, a big, profitable, and sustainable company without getting outside funds. Yeah, I I feel like the tides are finally starting to turn and it's getting a little more cool (laughs) to be bootstrapped because, yeah, I had the same experience. And for a while I had kind of a chip on my shoulder. You know, why doesn't my company get covered in these tech blogs? And I would see, you know, press releases from companies that had done some accelerator where they got $10,000, you know, whose product never even launched, but they can get press because they're, they're part of the system in some way. So yeah, you know, I love seeing, um, companies like Buffer and Wistia who have bought back their investors. That's a really cool trend. And the, the further I go down this path, the happier I am that I never raise money because I own a hundred percent of my business. And the freedom that comes with that is just is just incredible. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm so glad to see that that shift happening now too. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Like you reached a hundred thousand in monthly recurring revenue in less than a year. Mm-hmm. That, that's that, right. Yeah, that's pretty amazing on its own. Like you don't see too many bootstrap companies um, growing that quickly. Uh, what was mm-hmm. the main driver of that growth, and, and how did like how did you manage the volume uh, of that growth, and just the, like your internal processes within your team and existing resources? Yeah, so you know the biggest cheat that we had is I did I had already built an audience right because I've been teaching about social media marketing to small businesses. So I had that audience to launch with. So I wasn't launching with zero and as far as audience goes. And I just think that's important to bring up because I know I listen to podcasts and you compare yourself, you know, with the person talking. How did they how is that possible? So to me it just points to the importance of building an audience. Cause the other thing that happens are people are like, oh well good for you. Like that's not fair. But 
how do they think I got that audience? You know what I mean? It's because I spent five years doing, doing that work to build up the audience, which anyone can do. So for us, it has been, um, you know, vast majority organic word of mouth, people discovering us through content, through social media. Um, we have also always used ads, um, Facebook ads or ad words, but that's never been our main driver of growth. Do you guys have a sales team? No. So that's something else that's very unusual. So we only have one price point. Everyone pays $49 a month. Um, I mean, you can get a small discount for yearly, but besides that, no one pays any more or any less. So we're a hundred percent marketing, a hundred percent self-serve. I mean, you can have a call with someone on the customer service team and they can try to pitch you <laughs> if you really want. Um, but we don't have any sales roles at the business. Awesome. That, that's, that's great. So most of the, you know, most of the marketing is then like content marketing and some paid avenues. Yes. Yes. We're really heavy on, um, on content. You know, it's kind of fun being in the social media space because of course our marketing evolves as social media evolves. So we're getting more into Instagram now. Um, Instagram is the popular channel. So that's where there's a lot of visibility. So it's, you know, I feel like we get to learn right along with our customers, which is kind of a cool thing. We're playing around with is Instagram live worth our time? How many people are showing up? You know, is it turning into sales? We're, we're learning all this stuff too. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so most of my listeners are, you know, in the SaaS world in, in some capacity. And, and one of the biggest questions and concerns I hear is about churn. Um, mm-hmm. Are you able to talk about churn all? Like, do you guys share churn numbers? Um, not precisely, but you know, I'll say our numbers are. Um, <laughs> what's, what sort of ballpark should I give? Let's say between one and 10%, um, which, you know, is sometimes considered high. That's our monthly churn. Um, but numbers are very different for a small business product. And I see a lot written about churn that's really geared towards, uh, companies that are doing like much larger price points, much larger multi-year contracts. So, don't get me wrong. We're always very working very hard to get our turn down. Um, but it is, you know, it's a fact of life in a SaaS business. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like we're in the same boat as well. Um, are, are there any like main actions that meet Ed- Edgar implements to deal with churn? Just that like maybe a, a tip that you can mm-hmm. provide to like a SaaS founder listening? Yeah. I mean, something that has worked well for us is actually to focus a lot on, on win back. So that's after people have churned. And of of course there are things we do, you know, to hopefully catch them before they churn as well. But I want to talk about win back because I think that gets overlooked a lot. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, if they left, they left and they're not interested and and they don't want to be a customer. Um, but there's lots of reasons people leave. And also, especially a product like ours, sometimes people don't realize how much we were doing for them until they quit, uh, which is, it's something we hear a lot. Like you kind of, you have it set up for a while. You start to take it for granted because we automate a lot of people's social media work and they're kind of like, eh, you know, I, I could do this myself. And then they quit and they're like, Oh my God, Edgar was really doing a lot for me. I can't do this myself. This takes a ton of time. So we have a decent amount of people who come back to the software and, Um, you know, as long as people have given you permission to keep contacting them, keep contacting them, keep sending special offers, right? There's just, there's no harm in it. And the people that were your customers can actually be 
um, the best people to return because they, they did see some value in what you were selling at some point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, we, we do a similar strategy and yeah, huge, huge potential there for sure. Um, I want to talk about hiring. So your, your team size, you're currently at 20 people. Yeah, actually, we we recently um, did have you can you can call it right sizing, you can call it layoffs, um, but we're at fifteen people now. Okay, perfect. Do you still do the hiring at your company? Uh, no. So, you know, it's it's been different over the years, um, but. The depart so we do have a, a small leadership team, and basically they're responsible for their team. So the person heading up product, you know, hires developers. The person heading up customer service hires customer service. Uh, I actually wrote an article about this. You know, a lot of founders are the final say for every hire, and I actually stopped doing that because I don't want just one person to determine our team. We found that it's really valuable to have a lot of voices in the process, and we've actually found that the more of our team that can be involved, the better. And we do, um, cross department interviewing. So you're going to, we have three interviews. You're going to be interviewed by someone from a different team. Um, it, it just can create a really homogenous team. If there's just one person who's always giving that final yay or nay. Yeah, th- that's true. Uh, we, we do something similarly. Like what I've learned is that hiring, it's truly a skill set that gets better with time and experience. Mm. Uh, personally, I still do the hiring at my company, but I've come up with like a hiring framework and guide that I follow, which which mm-hmm. includes like bringing on department managers to doing you know those cross interviews and stuff. Um, that's definitely been successful for me. But do you have any hiring strategies or tips that work well, you know, for you or your department managers that you're able to share? Yeah, I mean, so one thing I would say is that you. We've, we find everyone just cold through job listings. I mean, you know, sometimes we've had people make referrals for people they've worked with previously. Um, but the vast majority of our team just comes from people that we've never had contact before that found a job listing. And I bring that up because I always read a bunch of advice that's like, you have to have a bench and you have to be out there recruiting. That's like never worked for us. (laughs) So it's okay if you're, if you're just doing job listings, um, you know, we, the way we do it is we have the three parts are an initial interview, just kind of like screening, making sure it's a match. And then we have a, um, work style interview, which you could also call like a culture fit. Um, the more sort of like how you work personality type stuff. And then we have a skills interview. And I mean, that's one tip is just separating what you're looking for, because it can be really challenging if you're just sort of having this free form conversation with someone for an hour, two hours, whatever. And sometimes you get into the more work style stuff. Sometimes you get into the more skill stuff. They're great at one and not the other, and it can kind of get muddled. So we found just having this focused time, like we're a hundred percent looking at skills right now. We're making sure there's a skills match helps us get a lot of clarity. So we're not doing that thing where we're like, well, I just, I don't know. I don't think they're right, but I can't exactly articulate why that's bad. (laughs) You don't want to do that. You want to know, hopefully as precisely as possible, um, you know, which criteria they're fit on and which they're not. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure it's harder being remote and hiring remote 
do do you so I think you guys hired just in the U.S. Is that accurate? Yes. Well, except for me, I'm actually in the U.K. now, um, but the rest of our team is all in the U.S. And yeah, we do uh, maintain only U.S. so that everyone can be in the same time zone working. Okay, got it. Um, and have you guys been remote since the beginning? We have. So every business that I've ever run has been remote and I've moved around a lot, um, as evidenced by me (laughs) being in the UK now. So I just never even considered having a real office because I was never in the same place for more than a year. So it seemed weird to me to put down roots with a business. So yeah, we've always been fully remote. Yeah, that's funny. Like Our company has been remote now for about two and a half years and we had an office prior to that. Mm-hmm. And just looking back, the you know, if someone asked me like, why did you have an office? Like the only thing I could think of is just because like that's what I thought you were supposed to do when <laughs> sort of starting and growing a company. Um, but what are some of your biggest challenges for growing a remote team? So I think the biggest challenge with remote by far is that you just miss out on a lot of that time for more casual conversation. And that's both on a social level, people getting to know each other, but it's also that sort of, you know, cross pollinating ideas, just kind of you're talking about something and then the conversation evolves into something else. And then this really cool idea comes up because when you're remote, the conversations tend to be much more focused which can be great, right? I think I definitely believe that remote working is more productive overall, but it tends to be like, okay, we're going to have this chat about this topic and we're going to decide and then we're going to hang up. And so you miss a lot of these meandering conversations and you also miss people from different departments um, being able to chat. So that's something that we have had to do really deliberately, putting people together, you know, chatting on Slack, I combined Skype and Slack right there, (laughs) (laughs) chatting on Slack or, um, or video calls, because what's weird is someone who is, you know, let's say like a marketing designer may never speak to someone who's a backend engineer, even though our team is only 15 people, right? So in a real office, obviously everyone would know each other, have coffee, have lunch, But being remote, if two people's job duties never overlap, which some job duties just don't, it's hard for those people to spend time together. So that's something that we're really aware of. And we're always like pushing people together from different parts of the team. Yeah, that's true. I have similar experience. Like that communication part, just I think it could be such a positive just because you're more efficient and effective Mm -hmm. with how you communicate. But at the same time, it could also be a negative because you're lacking that like personal connection at times. Um, Do you think transparency is important in running a remote company? I think it's super important because it's really hard, especially for the leader. So this is definitely something that I I feel like I'm learning more and more every year. So as the CEO or the founder, you know everything. And it's really hard to put yourself in that position and imagine what you don't know (laughs) because you know everything that's going on with a company. And then sometimes you can get frustrated by someone else and you're thinking like, how do they not see how this affects the big picture, the bottom line? It's because they can't, right? (laughs) Because they don't. They do not have all the same information that you have. And again, especially being remote, you're, you're losing out a lot on a lot of this overheard conversation or, you know, I walked by the whiteboard of this room and I saw what was going on. I heard the customer service team chatting at coffee. So I heard about this customer they were dealing with, right. You just, you lose a lot of that. So 
transparency is, is very important to us, you know, within our team, the only thing that's not transparent is salary. Um, we do keep people's salary private, although our theory is no one should ever be shocked by a salary, right? We do talk about sort of general ranges that the different roles have. Um, and no one would be, you know, it would never be a rude, a rude surprise to hear someone else's. Uh, but all of our other financial information is shared with the team and it, we have a special meeting every month to really go over what's going on with the team to help everyone connect their work to the bottom line of the business. Yeah, nice. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, Let's go back into social media, which is clearly your expertise. Uh, What are some of the things you see companies doing incorrectly on social media or things that companies could be doing a lot better? So, I mean, the big one is all or nothing. That's something I see so much is people are like, okay, I got to get on social media. I got to start doing this. They create this totally unsustainable um, stream of content because Gary Vaynerchuk told them that they have to post a hundred times a day, right? Which no one has time for. And then the whole thing just falls apart. And then it's just like ghost town, you know, you see the blog that has been updated in nine months, like the dead Twitter account, which, which looks really bad, honestly, from the outside. If you find all these assets from a company that haven't been updated, it does feel like, are they still in business? What's going on? Which is totally unfair, right? Just because you haven't tweeted doesn't mean your business is going badly. Um, but that's what it can look like from the outside. And you know, that's why we, we, we are really focused on smart social media automation. So Social media automation sometimes gets a bad rap because people think of, you know, auto follow tools to get a bunch of fake followers or you're scraping some irrelevant content and just spewing it on your social media feeds. Um, That's not what I'm talking about when I say social media automation. I'm really talking about having software do a bunch of the busy work that you don't need to be doing. So like we talked about with Edgar, you don't need to go through and find parts of your blog post that you can pull as a poll quote to get people interested on social because we have natural language processing, right? Like software knows how to do that. So let software do that. You don't need to be on your phone typing in your tweet. You can batch that ahead of time and software can send it out for you at the right time so that the most people in your audience can see it, right? Because your audience doesn't know or care whether you typed it in manually on your phone or you used Edgar, used another tool or, or whatever. So people get a little gun shy sometimes about automation thinking like, Oh, I don't want to be fake. You know, I need to be on brand. So yes, you need to be on brand. Everything needs to be high quality, high integrity, and you can use software to make your life easier. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would also add, uh, I think consistency is so important as well. Mm -hmm. Almost every successful business person I speak to talks about being consistent with what you do, which can be applied to anything, including social media. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, a funny story. A few months back, I posted about how my podcast, this podcast founder views hit 1000 downloads, which was after like 15 episodes, it took like three months to do, which is pretty insignificant in the podcast world. Um, but I thought it was pretty cool anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, last week I posted about how now this podcast, you know, is getting close to like a thousand downloads per day. Um, And I just credit that to being consistent, like since releasing or launching this podcast, I've been releasing one episode per week religiously since March, I think. So it's just a small example of the power of consistency. And, you know, if you're consistent, what could happen? 
Yeah, there's a quote from um, Gary Keller that they always talk about on the One Thing podcast, which I think is a great podcast about enduring the monotony of success. Can you endure the monotony of success? And yeah, everyone who's uh, who's lived it, who's run a successful business, I think will resonate with that so much because it's boring, right? What <laughs> what you do in the day in and day out of business, you're doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again. And of course, as entrepreneurs, we're like, this is boring. Let's shake things up. Let's come up with a new pricing model that no one will understand because we're bored of the thing that people are actually buying month in and month out. So yeah, it's so important to stay focused, stay consistent, keep doing those activities that are paying off for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Laura, where do you see Meet Edgar uh, in the future, like the next year, two years, three years down the road? What's the growth looking like? We're in a space that is is changing so much. So this has been a really hard year for us because there were some major changes at the social networks. The biggest one um, being Twitter banned repeating content and being able to recycle your content uh, has always been a big feature for us. It's always been a big reason that people came to us. And so that was pulled out from under us, which was which was not fun. And the part I didn't anticipate is that a certain amount of our customer base would just stop using Twitter altogether. And a certain amount would just stop using social media tools altogether. Because I kind of thought, okay, well, that sucks, but all the tools are going to be in the same boat. So maybe it won't hurt that much. Um, but it, it hurt. <laughs> so, you know, we did lose, um, you know, we're, we're still here, we're still profitable and all that good stuff, but we did lose a percentage of our customer base. And it's just, you know, taught me the lesson that, and that's after very steady growth, you know, after, since we launched. So it's, it's really just shown me that if you're building a long-term business, which is what we're here to do, you have ups and downs, you know, whether it's your own mistakes, which we've certainly made as well. It's things that happen in the marketplace, it's competitors, um, you need to be able to weather that storm and unexpected stuff happens. So the upside for us is that it's really, shown us that we can't be lazy about innovation. You know, I think we had this success and in some ways we kind of rested on our laurels. We're like, people like the product, it's growing. And then this thing happened with Twitter and it's like, oh, we can't just rely on features that we built in 2014, right? Social media is a, is a different space now. So I feel like I cannot make any kind of predictions (laughs) about the growth of the company or even what's going to happen with the space. But you know, we are definitely going to stick around. We're going to help keep helping independent business owners and entrepreneurs, and we're going to ride the waves of, of social media and just keep watching what's working for small businesses and keep helping them do it. I love it. Uh, you know, after all, if there wasn't a curveball being thrown in the mix, like it'll just take the fun out of right. entrepreneurship, right? Um, last question. I'm just curious. What's the, of your customer base, which social media platform is like the most popular right now that Um, that small businesses are using? Yeah, we would actually have data on that, but I don't have it at my fingertips. Um, but I would say it's, it's still Facebook actually, which, um, I don't know, might surprise people. I think Facebook can feel a little, 
like old, old news. But the thing about Facebook is there's lots of humans <laughs> on Facebook and it has the bonus of, of course, being tied into Facebook ads. So you can leverage whatever you're doing on the organic side into the paid side, which is really nice for a small business. Um, and Instagram is exciting. You know, I was talking about Instagram earlier, but it's still kind of experimental, for businesses. And it lends itself much better to some businesses than others. If you sell something that looks pretty, you should be on Instagram a hundred percent. You know, if you are some sort of service provider, it's, it's much more questionable. You know, it really depends on, on how you brand and your business and, and all that good stuff. So yeah, Facebook is like, maybe feels like a bit of old news, but it's still a tried and true way to reach people because what is it? A billion people are on Facebook. Yeah. Interesting. Makes sense. Um, look, Laura, I do want to be mindful of your time. I actually have another podcast that I run for my company and I always end it off with uh, what I call the top three, just fun questions. Um, mm-hmm. are you, are you game? Yeah. All right. So number one, your favorite business book. My, my new favorite is, uh, the road less stupid by Keith Cunningham. I'm obsessed with this book. The road less stupid. I don't think I've heard of that mm-hmm. one. I know. I just discovered it and it's, it's so good. Everyone has to read it. All right. I'll check it out. Uh, number two, your top vacation spot. Ooh, I travel a lot. Actually. I think one of my favorite places that I've ever been is uh, Kyoto in Japan. Oh, really? Nice. Okay. And uh, last question. Uh, guessing you're in your 30s somewhere. Don't ask your age. But if you can go back, what do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? <laughs> so I am. I'm 34. I can share. <laughs> um, what do I wish my 20-year-old self knew? So I was actually just starting um, – you know, I wasn't a full-time entrepreneur then, but I was starting down that, that path when I was 20. And, you know, I think what I would tell my 20 year old self is forget the rules. Like you mentioned with your office, right? You had an office because you're supposed to have an office, right? I guess that's, that's what people do. And I think when you're young and you're starting out, you're kind of looking around, right? Like I have, because you have no idea what you're doing, which is just how it is. Uh, and I wasted time, you know, focusing on things that I thought I should do or that everyone else was doing that I knew wouldn't work for me or that I knew didn't feel good, didn't feel right, didn't feel like how I wanted to run a business. So yeah, that's what I would tell my 20 year old self. Just like, go for it, do it your own way. Great advice. I think that's a perfect way to wrap this up. Uh, Laura, thank you so much. Uh, It was a true pleasure meeting you and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. All right. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you have any comments, questions or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Uh, Don't forget to check out webforrealty.com and founderviews.com for more information. Talk to you later. Peace.